Hello and welcome to the Dustin and Eric Podcast Show, brought to you by Mimosa Networks. Hi, I'm Dustin. And I'm Eric. So we're on episode number six today, where we'll be talking about billing and customer management. Uh, so basically, we'll talk about traffic shaping and authentication, and then third-party platforms that you can use to manage this. Uh, we have a special guest with us today, uh, Simon Westlake from Sonar. Hi, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. You want to tell us a little bit about what you do at Sonar? Yeah, a bit of everything, really. I'm technically my title CEO, but I am also the lead developer there. So wearing a couple of fairly big hats. Um, but I get to do stuff like this, which is fun. So Excellent. that's the good part. So it sounds like that you could probably take a lot of uh, questions that customers might ask if you, you're CEO and you do a lot of development work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I get a lot of them every day. So throw everything at me that you got. All right. So... Uh, we're going to catch up with uh, Eric and I here. So, uh, Eric, did you have anything fun that you did this past weekend? Uh, I went over to my uncle's and watched the Kentucky Derby on uh, on TV in the rain. Yeah, I heard it was kind of wet. We were inside. The Kentucky Derby was outside in the rain. Yeah. And then they ran horses on grass. That was that was pretty wild. I don't know how hmm. to do that. I don't watch horse racing, so I, I can't really comment on that. <laughs> it's It's like bowling for me. Once every uh, 10 years, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, uh, uh, well, where I live at here in Santa Clara, they have a, an annual uh, cleanup period during May. So basically people throw all their junk or unwanted stuff out on street corners. And uh, I'm not going to be ashamed about this. I, I followed a bunch of other people, and we went through people's junk and, and took stuff home. So... Uh, so all that stuff laid out along your street, if you go back like two days later, it's it's all gone. It's not because of the recycle folks came through from the county and picked it all up. It's <laughs> because it's because your neighbors and you like put it all back into your houses. Well, the cool thing is it's basically a swap mate. But if you oh. go back two days later, there's a pile of different stuff there. <laughs> so you never know what yeah. you're going to find. I saw tons of, you know, appliances, furniture, uh, speaker, you know, sound systems, all kinds of things that were almost brand new or brand new. People just throw it on the street. Any VCR TV combos? I saw VCRs and CRT monitors and old TVs, all kinds of stuff. That's what I'm talking about right there. So uh, I plan on doing that again this weekend. So, <clears throat> but, but yeah, that's what I did with my weekend. That's great. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and move on here. All right. And now it's time for the interrogation room where we answer submitted questions from the audience. All right. Number one, you guys talked about coax cabling last week. What is a good length for my cables? Well, Eric, since you answered that last week, I'll go ahead and let you uh, follow up with that question. So We do cables like uh, LMR 400, et cetera, maybe about a meter. I guess it depends on how far your uh, connectorized radio is from your antenna feed point and, and so forth. Uh, that, that goes with some of the shorter stuff, too, like the, the uh, RG200, uh, uh, or t excuse me, 240, et cetera. Maybe something that's, you know, you're looking at bend radius as a flexible. You don't want to put adapters. If you get some heavy uh, LMR400 and you're going to a small radio with SMAs, you certainly don't want to... Uh, RF adapt that down to an SMA size from the end. You want to you know, just run, use quality 50-ohm uh, coax jumpers. Right. Besides yeah. running the risk of it, the connectors, you know, snapping or breaking. Yeah, right? certainly. You it could. definitely becomes lossy. Yeah. But LMR 400 is basically not 
good for everything, but it's definitely less lossy and get you a, f- a few gigs on up with a, a decent, uh, uh, a low loss rate, I guess. So two forty is okay, basically. Yeah, yeah, we're talking short lengths and, and, and if, if five gig uh, X, two point four five gig, and so on. You're not like AT and T and Verizon running, you know, copper all the way down to the base of the tower. Yeah, waveguides. You're just doing short, short runs there. Yeah, just little jumpers. All right. Number two, what monitoring tools should I use to manage my network? Well, uh, Simon, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, monitoring tools with Sonar? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's uh, a couple of ways to look at this. And I think there's a good question you got to ask up front, which is, do you want something free or not, right? Because there's a lot of free tools out there, which are commonly used. um, And you really have to accept the deficiencies of doing that, I think. But if you know you're not willing to spend any money or it's not the right time to, I mean, there's tons of good ones out there like Cacti and Libra NMS and Nagios and Smoke Ping and The Dude and that kind of thing. But I think for me, uh, most of the experience I've had monitoring networks, the important thing is being able to have a good separation between your network infrastructure and anything else you want to monitor. Because I look at the typical ISPs network, you probably want to be monitoring your backhauls and your routers and switches and anything that's the infrastructure of the network on a pretty tight polling cycle. And you're going to want to have really good alerting capabilities in there. So, I mean, you can use things like Sonar for that, but uh, there's commercial stuff out there like SolarWinds and PRTG as well that's pretty good. And I think manually managing that piece of the monitoring is acceptable, right? How often do you deploy new infrastructure? It's not that big of a deal. But I think monitoring all of your customer equipment, any of the CPE you deploy, or any other more transient types of gear like that, a critical thing there is having that automated, because the reality is you're going to forget to monitor half of that otherwise. So like in Sonar, we can monitor that automatically. Or there's things like Libra NMS that'll do network discovery and monitor those kinds of things. And for me on those, you probably want a much wider polling cycle, right? I don't want to be hammering my network every 30 seconds with polling requests if I have thousands and thousands of devices out there. Right. Um, but I think that's the critical question to answer. And I think in a lot of cases, that might mean having two different systems. All right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, number three, should I provide managed routers to my customers or should they provide their own? So this is a, actually a really difficult question because it really depends on how you want to run and your, how you want to manage your network. Uh, to me, I would like to provide managed routers for all of my customers because ultimately they're going to contact you when they have an internal networking problem like their Wi-Fi doesn't work or their Xbox isn't connecting or is slow. And if they've they have their own router in there, you have no idea what is happening on the backside of your CPE connection. So providing them with a managed router, you actually have a little visibility into their network. You can kind of troubleshoot and see what's happening on their side and help them understand what they are doing right, what they're doing wrong, or what might be happening inside their house. Uh, Number four, Eric, could you elaborate more on the coax cabling choices you talked about last week? Uh, yeah, again, we're looking at for uh, quality 50-ohm jumpers, just short stuff, maybe a meter, half a meter. And you don't want to take an LMR 400 
and and do a real tight bend on it. You want to you want to take it easy. You don't want to uh, uh, cramp or, or uh, alter uh, the length between the uh, the shield and the dielectric and, and change the impedance or any of that kind of stuff. So uh, something flexible but good quality, good shielding, 50 ohms. Uh, hopefully it's got some kind of labeling on the uh, on the jacket itself and then on the the smaller stuff the 195 240 good uh, good quality shorty for the smaller uh, uh, RF type connectors and, and so forth so how far away should my connectorized radio be away from my antenna my sector you know you know how long of a run should that be or how short should that be I think you could do uh, again half meter or a meter or two uh, a, you know a few meters we used to run uh, you know, long lengths between uh, connectors on you know antennas all the way down to these radios and such. Uh, but it's nice to have. Just uh, you, you take a you take a, a, a mimosa radio and you hit it with uh, a good uh, RG, uh, excuse me, a good uh, a Cat Six shielded, uh, and then you just do jumpers so you have it live uh, behind the antenna pattern itself. Let's say something short. All right. Can I? Uh throw something in on sure, the Mandrata question before we jump on. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to say there is I, I've had a lot of experience with our customers doing managed routers versus customer-owned routers, and I think you're absolutely right. You're going to end up supporting them either way. And the other big thing that I think makes it a very attractive proposition is it's a much bigger revenue opportunity than I believed it to ever be i've interestingly to me i mean i have my own router at home but almost everybody i know at this point seems to be paying for a router from their isp when they're using a kind of big name isp and they're paying five six seven eight dollars a month so you get the benefit of having that router from a troubleshooting perspective but if you think most of those routers you buy i mean if you're using anything other than than a very high-end router you can probably buy them for 30 40 50 less than 100 dollars for sure right and renting those freight bucks a month i mean it's pretty big uh pretty big arpu ad so i you know to me nowadays when people ask me that question i don't think it's a hard question anymore i think the answer is yes like the downsides are very slim right. and you can end up sporting it anyway so exactly So, uh, yeah, number five, should I throttle my customers or should I provide best effort service? Simon, do you want to talk about that too? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've seen it's kind of interesting. I never occurred to me to do this thing where you just don't throttle any of your customers because it's the classic way to sell and differentiate your services, right? Mm -hmm. It's $50 for 20 megs and $80 for 100 megs or whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I look at that and I think it's to not throttle those customers, you're really missing out on a huge upsell opportunity. So I look like, what what speed internet do you have at home, Dustin? Uh, I have 50 meg service through Comcast. Yeah, so I have like 100 megs at home and I'm paying you know, another $40 a month or something to be able to have that. Mm -hmm. I, if I went and looked at my usage graphs, I bet I don't often use it. It's very occasional, right? I'm doing a big download. It's nice to finish it quickly. But, you know, if if it was a sort of one-size-fits-all approach, I probably wouldn't be paying that extra. And I think the other 
problem is, although it's very true that the higher the rate limit you give people, you have the sort of interesting situation where in a lot of cases your network is actually less utilized because you're not capping people at a low speed or it's sort of less utilized over a period of time right people are able to finish downloads quickly and get off the network rather than being capped there it's really hard to know what your potential peak usage can look like if you have no idea what you've really sold to people so my perspective is you throttle them just because it gives you more planning capability and it gives you more upsell opportunities um and it really is still best effort anyway right like i think it's uh unless you're selling slas to everybody i mean you're still kind of there but right. i don't know what do you guys think uh well i i worked for a company once where we didn't have any kind of management system in place people were just getting uh best effort service and uh you know, some people would see, you know, three megs of service while others would see not even a half a mega service. So putting in a management system helped kind of regulate what people were getting to kind of sp spread the bandwidth around since we were using really old equipment at the time. Right. It's not, it's, so it's not throttled. So, yeah, where do you go if, if you're maxed? If you get some people, folks are maxed out, they don't have anywhere to go. Uh, or I guess you don't have, can't upsell that or is that the... Right. Well, some right customers term. would be using up all your bandwidth while the others aren't getting anything. Yeah. 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 At least with yeah. uh, like Sonar or Platypus or Azatel, you can kind of manage, uh, you know, their speed packages and, and what they're getting. That way, everybody gets a little bit of uh, the pipe instead of there just a few people. Yeah. I think the important question there is how should I throttle my customers, really, right? Right. More than should I. Well, okay. do you want to answer how? <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Um, so I think the critical piece is using a queuing algorithm that's designed for giving an end user a good quality connection. And this is you've seen some vendors start to come into the market now in the WISP industry in particular, but it's existed with companies like Sandvine and, and people like that in the past, where the big push there is not you can limit your customers to X number of megs is that the queuing mechanism will make it so that within that 10 megs you're giving them, they get a good quality experience, right? So if they're doing a big download and they start trying to stream, then there'll automatically be a fair queuing algorithm used to allocate sufficient bandwidth to the stream. Because I think most of the complaints that ISPs see from customers when they are throttling them is not so much that I mean, some cases they don't have enough speed for what they're doing, right? But I think in a lot of cases what it is, and I think every ISP can relate to this, you have a customer doing a Windows 10 update they don't even know is happening, or they're uploading to iCloud, or mm -hmm. their Xbox is downloading a update for Halo or whatever, and they say, my internet sucks. Right? Mm -hmm. They don't say, Xbox sucks. They say, my ISP right. sucks. Right. And you really need something in place that's going to, impose those limits without destroying the quality of the connection overall. So I think really the critical question in there is how should they be throttled? And the answer is with some kind of really good fat queuing mechanism. And there's a lot of ways to do that out there today. Um, I don't know how many vendors we're supposed to name drop on here, but I'm sure people can research and, and figure out good ways of doing that stuff. And and good good point. And and real quick, uh, I don't have an Xbox. Do that's do these things uh, 
So these things update their f- internally and their firmware, I would imagine. There are uh, updates all the time, keeping these things running smooth. Most of the updates are actually the games themselves. Yeah. Oh, is that how it... Oh. They push out patches for games that have bugs or new updates. And they're huge. And, yeah. Right? It's just like the Windows updates and stuff. I oh, mean, wow. I, I think about... I've experienced this at home, so I'm... At least I was not applying any kind of fair queuing to my internal network. And I, you know, I used to be a network engineer. Like, I know how to do this stuff. And I was sitting using my machine one night, and internet was really bad. I had really bad latency. Yeah. And immediately my thought was, God, my ISP sucks. What the hell's going on? It was fun. And I log into my router, and it, my wife's iPhone's jamming stuff up to iCloud. My kid's computer's doing a big Windows update. My iPad's <laughs> updating. Mm-hmm. But me, even me, being able to look at that stuff, my first inclination was to think ISP sucks. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. I, and all of these things are doing it now. I mean, uh, Windows is one of the worst offenders today, but I mean, Xbox, PlayStation, I mean, pretty much any mm-hmm. device connected to the internet yep. at this point seems to think they're given carte blanche to just. Pull whatever they want, whenever they want. So, yeah, CPE side, man. Yeah, when I used to work support, I'd get those kinds of calls all the time. I hated it, but yeah, it's trying to educate the customer at the same time. Yeah, you can try, but like, what can they even do? I mean, this is part of the problem: is what can I do to stop all these devices doing this stuff? Like, it's difficult. And once you've gone to that point of having that conversation with a the customer, their immediate mm-hmm. reaction, in most cases, I think, is, "Oh, so it's my fault." <laughs> Like they assume you know, it's blame shifting, right? It's not right. not solution finding, and right. that's why I'm pretty big on this whole concept of putting some kind of fair queuing in place because it just stops even having to have the conversation. We, we keep adding more and more devices in our on our home Wi-Fi's and so on. Yeah, yeah, gosh. All right. Yeah. So we're gonna go ahead and start on today's main course: mm, billing and customer management. Tasty. So we'll, we'll start out talking about. Uh, tier plans. So everybody out there, all ISPs, they have their tier plans. And so you have to determine what you can do. So uh, as you can see, AT&T, CenturyLink, Comcast, everybody, they have, you know, tier plans for like 5, 10, 25, 50, 100 meg packages. It just depends on um, what kind of equipment they have to deliver that, what kind of lines they're dealing with. Or for, you know, wireless ISPs, what kind of equipment do you have on the towers or on top of rooftops that can deliver that. And then you have to determine your pricing for those tier plans because you have to look at the cost for your bandwidth, for your backbone, uh, how much bandwidth you actually have so you know what you can deliver to your customers. And, uh, of course, the most important thing is, you know, how are you going to deliver this to each customer? So you need to make sure your network is built to sustain uh, you know, 100 meg packages or 25 meg packages, whatever you're looking to give out, and able to grow at the same time. So uh, with the Mimosa equipment on the Mimosa A5, A5Cs, uh, we have traffic shaping plans that you can set up. Uh, uh, as seen here in the photo, if you're uh, looking from home uh, on YouTube, uh, we have what's the slow plan, fast plan, cable modem plan. You can set this up however you want. The slow plan's like 36 down, 36 up and fast is 500 by 400 and so on. And once you set those plans up, you can go into uh, clients and actually set those traffic shaping plans to each individual client radio. 
and help kind of uh, do traffic shaping, help kind of manage what the customer can and can't get. And we also have access control lists where you can kind of turn customers off if they're not paying their bill or if they're, you know, downloading uh, torrenting stuff and you've got the cease and desist order. You can kind of turn those customers off by blocking their IP addresses or blocking their MAC address so they can't actually access the Internet. But you still have access to their equipment if you need to. Uh, Also with Mimosa now, uh, we have Radius Authentication. Uh, starting in firmware 2.240, which will allow you to do auto-unlock and auto-provisioning. You can set this up using any Radius server, but we have specific documents and uh, help for using free Radius. So basically, you just plug in your C5, point it toward the access point. Uh, You log into it either through the G2 or plugging into it directly. Uh, You can use the app. Uh, but hit auto-unlock. It'll scan for the access point, connect to it. Once it connects and has the correct uh, username and password, it'll start downloading the configuration or VSA files that help configure C5 for you. You don't have to worry about it. But the cool thing is is that we're actually partnered up with Sonar for integration that'll help you do this. Uh, There's also a couple of others out there, uh, Platypus and Azatel, there's actually tons of them out there, but we're just talking about three today because we could sit here all day long and talk about different people who can do you know, pretty much the same thing. It just depends on how much it costs and, and what other things they can do. So cool things about managed systems in general is that you can set rate limits. Uh, you can turn customers on, uh, the brand new customers, enable billing. You can also turn those customers who aren't paying you off or redirect, redirect them to a, a page requesting payment. So the first one we'll talk about here is Platypus. It is uh, Platypus is one billing and customer service management platform. It handles billing, which includes keeping track of payments and sending actual bills. It handles provisioning, which manages customer service plans and integration with free radius. It also handles customer care, which allows you to create tickets and send emails to targeted customers. But it also handles uh, FCC Form 477 reporting and your inventory and scheduling as well. So if you want to know more, learn more about uh, Platypus, you can find out at ispbilling.com. The second one we'll talk about here real quick is Azatel. Azatel is a single platform which is used across all operator departments. So examples of departments would be like CRM, dispatch, installation, service provisioning, accounts, baking, help desk, network monitoring, inventory, marketing, management, and so on. So Azatel reduces the number of software platforms that you require to just one, eliminating the need for replicating subscriber data. Uh, I know from personal experience that we used to keep an Excel spreadsheet with customer information, IP addresses, and then we'd keep it in another database at the same time. There's no point in having that because you have more chances of screwing up somewhere down the line with writing down information in one, not writing it down in another, or writing it down wrong in the other one. So just having one platform to use is good. Um, All departments have controlled and easy access to the latest information about your customers so they can just log in and look at it. Uh, Azatel also pushes out provisioning to the client radio. They manage customers' routers so you can enable or disable services along with keeping track of any type of notes on why the account has been suspended. You can also create work orders for installs and trouble tickets for support issues. 
Uh, this can be done with an online portal by the customer or managed by support staff with your company. Azatil also keeps track of customer base uh, with their map feature. It shows online and offline customers, which will help you identify any type of outages almost immediately. Uh, and one last thing, you can also use their SMP functionality to create graphs to track usage on your route, customer routers and radio stats where you can kind of monitor what it, what's going on with the radio, similar to what our cloud product does. And then last but not least, we'll move on here. Uh, you can find out more about Azatel.com. And uh, saving the best for last year, we have uh, Sonar. So, Simon, if you want to talk a little bit about Sonar, let's go. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. So, um, Sonar's been around for about three years now. And it's got a lot of the same kind of features at a high level as you're talking about in a lot of the competitive platforms like billing ticketing and scheduling and inventory management and network monitoring the, the callbacks what we were talking about earlier. Um, but some of the things I think that differentiate Sonar in a lot of ways from a competition are it's a very modern platform. I think one of the things that you'll see in the WISP industry specifically is that a lot of the, the systems that are out there have been around for a very long time and they haven't necessarily kept up technologically with a lot of the the improvements and changes that have happened. So we have a very modern system. It's optimized for mobile devices. We have a full REST API built in. So there's a lot of things that people have done to integrate and, and expand upon Sonar with external systems. And there's a lot of smaller features in there as well that I think are you don't see as often in these kind of platforms. Like for example, we have a module called Pulse that we released a few months ago they'll automatically go out and map your network for you and figure out the topology and how things are connected to each other and what the quality of links looks like between devices and how many customers are connected to each access point and, and that kind of thing. And the, the big thing that we always try to do in Sonar is really bring all the data together, right? That's the point of having all these different modules is to be able to share information between them. So a ticket can be linked to a job and a job can close a ticket and the customer data that we have we use to figure out which connect customers are connected where through that pulse module i mentioned and um yeah everything's tied together into a into a nice little package so that's so, my so you have 60 a, a second spiel oh, okay thanks and you have a client here that's that has uh, there's some bar graphs uh for each month of one year and, it, yeah. and she's green all the way up until November, and then something, it's red. Something happened in November here? Yeah, okay. so a, a lot of what we try to do with the data that we have in Sonar is really draw attention to outliers or bring aggregate data together to let you understand a, a customer better. So the, the image that we're looking at here is right off the front page of our website. And this is the dashboard mm -hmm. that we have when you view an individual customer. So that graph you're referring to at the top that graphs over time, their invoices, uh, the amount of them, and also whether they've been paid and if they're delinquent. So what that shows us at a glance is that red invoice is delinquent and unpaid, and the yellow one is unpaid and not yet delinquent. And then the graph down at the bottom shows the number of gigs they've used every month over time. And then in the middle, we have a display of the last few call logs and trouble tickets how long a call normally takes with this customer on average and how that compares to all our other customers, 
how many tickets they've opened in the last year and how that compares to all our other customers. And so a lot of what we're trying to do here uh, is really help people in the call center identify problems quickly and minimize their call times. I started off my career working at Time Warner in a call center. Mm -hmm. And I always think back to that, that every call we took, a big so a big driver is always get the call times down, right? I mean, even in a small organization, you want to keep your call times low. But I remember working there, it would always be two to three minutes from the beginning of a call till you'd really been able to aggregate all the information together from all these different places. And so a lot of these graphs and information that we show are to enable those call center reps to quickly yeah. see customer calls in says I have no service. Well, if I can immediately see that three months past due, and I know our policy is to shut them off after three months, I know they've been shut off. Or if they call in with slow speeds and I see yeah. Over the last 12 months, they use about 40 gigs a month, and now they've used 400. I know where to start digging, right? Like something's changed. Maybe they got a virus, or they bought 12 new Xboxes, or right. whatever. But uh, I have a way to start looking at that kind of stuff. And we we do a lot of this all through the system, and it's something we're always working on adding more of, because that's really the, the value of having all this data together, is being able to do those kinds of data visualizations with it and draw your attention to things that wouldn't otherwise be immediately obvious. All right. So, uh, and you can find out more about this on uh, sonar.software, correct? That's it. You got it. All right. And so uh, one more thing here is, uh, so once you have a system in place, who's going to help you manage it? The vendor can only help you so much. So you need a customer service rep or reps or technical support rep or reps that help handle this. You can do this in-house, which uh, in my opinion is always best, or you can outsource depending on what you want to do. Your software is only as good as the operator behind it, so make sure you get appropriate training no matter which platform you end up using. So do you guys uh, provide any kind of training? Or do you guys yeah. handhold through, you know, even after you guys provided training? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, so we we have close to 500 ISPs on Sonar now, and most of our organization is actually built around that onboarding and training process. I mean, the, the most difficult thing for us and for our customers is getting up and running on a new system, right? Like, it's a huge undertaking to get onto that. So there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff that we do as uh, we're onboarding new customers, but we also have a lot of video series on our website called Sonarcasts, and they run through pretty much every single part of Sonar. We do webinars, we've done training at trade shows and different areas around the country. It's something we're really focused on. Um, it's easy to lose sight, I think, as a, as a company that's building software, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that there is a lot of complexity there. When you know it very well, it seems simple. Um, but it's something we're always very focused on is making sure that we have people available to do training, to help with onboarding, and and do that kind of ongoing support. So that's, I think, probably about 75% of our organization is dedicated to just doing that. All right. All right, so this week's tech tip is brought to you by Eric Thompson. And I don't have one offhand. It's right there. Oh, is it? I haven't seen this, these, these slides. I haven't seen them all then. Oh, they're on to me. They're on to me. Tech tip. If setting a static IP in your radio, keep track of it. Make sure to keep track of your password and password changes too. 
Also, if setting a static address in your radio, keep track of the subnet and gateway so that way you can actually log back into the radio later on. Very good. Give the password on the SSID, the link ID. Yeah, all that information is all good to note down in Excel or, or write it down somewhere. So It's all good. All right, all so uh, this week on Podcast 6, we talked about customer management and billing. Uh, Simon Westlake from uh, Sonar joined us, and we appreciate that very much. Simon, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Simon. That's great. And so next week, we'll be talking about marketing to your customers. So uh, please come back by, check out the next podcast, get some ideas on how to potentially market to your new customer base. All right, guys. Well, again, thank you, Simon, for coming. And, uh, and everybody else, we'll see you next time. See you later. Thanks, Simon. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Please hit the subscribe or follow button to stay up to date with our latest podcast, which will be available on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. 